You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 511 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, joined by Jill. Jill, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. It's for no one over here. The first part, this is the second time we're trying to record this. So try and be being the operative word there. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, this is the first time we have been together on the podcast in the new year. So what we tried to do last time was talk about our holidays. So we can we can try that again. Jill, I'll organically ask you, <laughs> how was your holiday break? It was great. Thanks for asking, Adam. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was good. I was quiet. We didn't really do much. Um, I unfortunately got sick right around Christmas. Not COVID, so you know there's that. Um, but yeah, we just hung out. I played a lot of Animal Crossing, um, which my husband got me for Christmas. And yeah, I did it was a lot of Animal Crossing mostly. Yeah, um, I actually I also I have a Switch now. Um, I don't have Animal Crossing yet, but I do have Smash Brothers, which is also taking up a lot of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lots of reading and writing. And as I have told you now a few times, I have an indoor herb garden, which I am just staring, waiting for my thyme and parsley and basil and mint and dill to come in. Mostly for cocktails, not the sure. dill, but everything Naturally. else. Yeah. Because <laughs> what else are you going to do with it? What um, else are you going to do with it? Yeah, exactly. Um Honestly, it's probably good that this didn't work the first time because we, we talked for like 15 minutes before we got to books and I know we would have gotten an email or a, a tweet from someone being like, your intro was so long. You guys talked about Animal Crossing and herbs for 20 minutes. We did. Which we kind of Not did. gonna lie. Yeah. We kind of um, did. Yeah. So we thought to kind of kick off the first time we were together, we would talk about some books that we read while we were away or some books that in Jill's case, she's looking forward to for 2020 because she had some advanced reader copies. Um, And then we'll touch on our own personal reading goals because I know lots of people set their own reading goals and reading challenges at this time of year. And then speaking of reading challenges, we will do one of the, uh, we'll do the first of many professional book nerds reading challenge episodes so we're going to touch on books that were written in the 1990s um just some suggestions for you so um and then before we get into that which i want to make sure i said thank you one more time because it got disappeared from the first time uh we have two fabulous uh, retired librarians who work at overdrive uh cindy Orr and tish lowry who are genuinely like some of the main reasons why Overdrive and Libby and our company exists because they were vital in helping our CEO, Steve Potash uh, and his wife, Lori, kind of come up with the initial idea. And so they're wonderful and they're amazing. And they've been on the show at some point. We couldn't remember <laughs> when that was. I... It's not like either of us used the time between recording. To look it up. 
There were like several hours, people. We either of us could have looked it up and neither did. <laughs> neither of us did. But I want to give a special shout, shout out to Cindy if she's listening because she put together a huge marketplace list of 1990s books. So if you are a librarian listening and you do purchasing for your Overdrive account with us, uh, you can go in and you can add a bunch of these books. And it was really fun to see them. So that's where I pulled some of mine from. Um, so before we get into all that, though, do you want to talk about the, the arcs or the books you're kind of looking forward to reading and then... Uh, then I'll do some of my recent reads. Sure. Yeah, I didn't read really. I didn't. I didn't finish any book over um, the holidays because it was still 2020 and my brain was struggling. There. But in my defense, I downloaded several advanced copies of books that I'm very excited to read that come out um, this year. So I'm going to share some of those. The uh, the first one is the final revival of Opal and Nev by Donnie Walton. There's another oral history about a rock and roll band, mm-hmm. y'all. I, yeah, okay, so uh, I did start this one. It's really good. I'm very excited to finish it. But, you know, if you listened, um, have been listening for a while, you know that I love Casey Jones and the Six. Read it like multiple times the year it came out. Read it again just recently. <laughs> Um, I love oral histories and when the Simon & Schuster was doing a presentation of upcoming books, they mentioned this one. I like immediately went to Edelweiss and like put in a request immediately and then may have also asked one of our colleagues to be like, can you ask them (laughs) to send it to me please? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this is another fictional oral history of a beloved rock and roll duo shot to fame in the 1970s New York and then there was a dark fraught secret that lies at the peak of their stardom what more do you need to know that's such a what a joe book right I'm so excited it's really good yeah so um that's that's am I doing all of them or are we going back and forth oh we can go back and forth yeah sorry we have we're out of practice we haven't done a podcast together in like three weeks we have not um okay so my first one well the first one I'll, I'll get out of the way one really quick because i've talked about it a million times but i reread lillian box fish takes a walk at the end of every year um older it's an elderly woman who she's in her mid-80s she lives in new york city and she goes for a long walk on uh on new year's eve and kind of recounts her life in advertising and it's delightful and i love it um but i've talked about that a million times so the first one i want to talk about is cuyahoga by pete Beatty. um I'm a huge fan of the website defector.com. It's all of the writers from deadspin.com before that fell into a fiery pit. They all got together, created their own website. It's wonderful. One of the writers' names is David Roth, and he writes about politics and pop culture. And I just, he's one of my favorite people on all of the internet. This was his favorite book of the year. So that's how I was like, oh, I really should check this out. It is kind of actually an oral history as well, but it is told, it's the story of this guy named Big Son. And it is um, these tall tales that these various people tell about him. And so it's set near the Cuyahoga River in like during the creation of the cities of Cleveland and Ohio City. So all of the references that they talk about are very, very local. And I was like, Mm -hmm. hey. I know those street names, um, but it's all about the one of the bridges being built between the two cities and this guy who does these insane feats like uh, he fights Lake Erie or he uh, 
hits a bear over the face with a whole maple tree because he wanted some syrup. Like it's these ridiculously tall tales about a quote unquote spirit. And it reminded me, I don't know if you remember this, but in Saturday night, during Saturday Night Live, when I was in college, there was this sketch called Bill Brasky, where all of these guys would get together, they'd be drunk and they would talk about this larger than life character named Bill Brasky. And my roommates and I loved it. We would, while half after imbibing a few adult cocktails, we would do our own like Bill Brasky sketches. Um, and it just made me laugh to no end. And that's exactly what this is. Like there's just these tall tales and it was just really delightful. Um, it's very kind of pastorally in the sense that it is like it's in the 1800s. And so there's lots of like, there's a coffin builder and there's, um, like you know a bridge keeper this is lots of it's really entertaining and the way it's written is really really funny so that's Cuyahoga by Pete Beatty um my next one I'm not going to talk too much about because well you'll find out in a couple weeks okay my next one is the project by Courtney Summers Mm. so excited for this one so um I loved Courtney's uh first book um Sadie which read after one of our workers mentioned it on the podcast like at the beginning of all of this back in the spring God, that was like a year ago okay anyway um the, so the project our new project so Lo um uh is used to be on her own after her parents died Lo's sister B joins the unity project leaving Lo in the care of their great aunt thanks to its extensive charitable work and community outreach the unity project has won the hearts and minds of most in the upstate New York region. The low knows there's more to the group than meets the eye. And she spent the last six years of her life trying and failing to prove it. Then a man shows up at the magazine uh, Lowe works for claiming that the Unity Project killed his son. Lowe sees the perfect opportunity to expose the group and reunite with her sister once and for all. But then her in- investigation puts her in the direct path of its charismatic and mysterious leader, Lev Warren which is like the best cult leader name ever, Lev Amazing. Warren. That's just so good. <laughs> so he proposes a deal. If she can prove the worst of her suspicions about the Unity Project, she may expose them. But if she can't, she must finally leave them alone. And then, you know, she starts digging and mm-hmm. who knows? So I'm oh, so excited about this. I, I, love, Courtney. I love Courtney Summer's books. Um, this comes out in February. So you got like a month and uh, yeah. Yeah, she I think this is one we're both she's Courtney's gonna be on the podcast. I think yep. this is an interview we're both doing together. Oh yeah, I'm definitely gonna be there. <laughs> yeah. No, I sorry, I sorry, I should have clarified. I believe I'm going to be there as oh, well. I know you're yeah. there. <laughs> um yeah, actually I I listened before the holiday break, I listened to Sadie as well. Actually joked with Mallory and Bria that I think I, I thought I was the last person in like the world to uh to read Sadie. And then they were both like, Nope, you're one of the last three, because neither had they, but so um good. I don't love true crime podcasts, but apparently love books about true crime podcasts because Sadie has a true crime podcast in it. But it does. Yeah. I like that about that. Uh, my next one is Beasts of Extraordinary Circumstances by Ruth Emmy Lang. Uh, I didn't realize it, but I actually listened to or read two uh, kind of oral histories, actually, because this is sort of the same thing. This is an oral history of this person who most of the book is about when he's a little bit younger. Um, but his name is Waylon Gray. And strange events kind of follow him around from everywhere, from town to town, wherever he lives, whether it's like a hurricane just randomly stopping or um, somebody 
being saved from an angry wolf on their like 11th birthday. Um, there's just all these very unique things that tend to happen with Waylon. Um, and so this book is told through the eyes of people who have gotten small snippets of their life that intertwine with Waylon, whether it's like a half sister who he lived with for a little while or a girl that he dated for a bit or this person who stumbles into his house later on in life and he sees that his like entire roof is made out of spider webs because he had a conversation with spiders that helped him fix his roof and um you're never it's it's just really really fun it's very uh kind of like whimsical and delightful and uh, i really love the different ways that you see his life from all these different people. The one thing is, is like the book is so good that towards the end of the book, you're going to be like, wow, there's not much time left in this book. And I, he has a lot left, a lot of his life left. So you'll get kind of bummed out where you're like, oh man, I wish that it's kept going. Also, my dog is dreaming and barking right now. If you can hear that. It's yeah, what that was. Um, yeah, that's my dog. Uh, if you hear, if you hear like a whimpering in the background, everybody, everything's okay. My dog was uh, dreaming and barking because he was laying with his head upside down. Anyway, everything's great in in twenty twenty one as well. So, uh, Beasts of Extraordinary Circumstance by Ruth Emmy Lang is is that one. So, I had one more. Did did you have anything? Else? I have two. So this actually is fine. Okay. So, um, the next one that I'm really excited about, which comes out in May, is called Off the Record by um, Cameron Garrett. So this is about Josie. She's 17 years old. And for as long as she can remember, all she's really wanted to do was be a writer. So when she wins a contest to write a celebrity profile for Deep Focus magazine, she's equal parts excited and scared, but also super ready. She is like, totally got this. Soon Josie is jetting off on a multi-city tour, rubbing elbows with sparkly celebrities, frantic handlers, stone-faced producers, and eccentric stylists. She even finds herself catching feelings for the subject of her profile, dazzling young newcomer, Marius Cannon. Josie's world is expanding so rapidly, she doesn't know whether she's flying or falling. But when the young actress lets her in on a terrible secret, the answer is clear. She is in over her head. So this sort of touches on um, a lot of like the Me Too movement and, you know, women having different, um, you know, like women standing up for each other or if one comes forward with an accusation about a man that another woman has a different kind of relationship with and like, what do you do and how do you handle that? So um, that is off the record. Sounds really good. Um, okay, my last one that I read over the last couple of weeks is Plain Song by Kent Harriff. And this kind of goes along with um, my reading goals for the year but we'll get into in a little bit but uh this came out in the early 2000s uh and it was a national book final a national book award finalists and it's sort of a snapshot of a small town in colorado it's a it's fiction and it's a fictional town but it's this snapshot about a certain period of time um for a certain set of characters and i really really love these books he's very this reminded me a lot of wendell berry again kind of like american pastoral and i think it's because i move so fast through my own life like whether it's working for a tech company or trying to run as much as possible or write as much as possible or like do as many things as i can for as many people and always be like very online and in touch with people and then these books that are just sort of like, here is 
a certain amount of time in a small town where people are ranchers and they are teachers and they're just going through life uh, on their mail routes and different things. It's very soothing to me. So this is, like I said, it's a story of a couple different characters. One's a high school teacher who has these two boys that he's raising alone because his mother or their mother kind of ran away from them and couldn't uh, be a part of their life for whatever reason. And then there's also a teenage girl whose parents abandoned her after she uh, became pregnant and she's all by herself and trying to figure out what to do. And um, these two elderly brothers who are like bachelors and they live on their own dairy farm and they don't like they, the way that they interact is very much like Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets, which is really enjoyable. Um, So it's just, these like, you get these, each chapter is a different one of these characters and it goes kind of round and round. And it, it's one of those books where on the, uh, from the outside looking in, it's like, Oh, nothing really happens. But at the same time, it's like, that's kind of the point where it's like the whole book is about this just little moment in time in this little tiny place. And I love just love, love, love these types of books. You know, there's, it's weird. I, I love huge fantasy books where like there's life changing, altering things. But then I also like these little tiny moments in, in time. So um, like I said, this is a little bit of an older book, but it's Plain Song by Kent Harreff and it is phenomenal. So my last book that I'm looking forward to and um, is a little more fun. It is Tarot and Tequila by David Ross. It oh my God. In June. It is a tequila cocktail book, but it uses the tarot cards as sort of um, the structure of the book. And so I started to look through it. You know, it's not like something you have to like read, read, you know, you can peruse it at the cookbook. Um, oh man, I should totally use this for the pro book nerd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so yeah, so like in the beginning, so, I mean, if you don't know tarot, that's okay. They actually sort of, uh, David Ross walked you through it. So like in the major arcana section, um, there is, he goes through each of the cards of the major arcana and sort of, talks about the meaning behind them like the traditional meaning and then what he calls like a tequila meaning which is a little bit more like a little spicy I guess is the best way to put it and then there is a recipe a tequila cocktail recipe that goes with um that card and it's just a whole book of that so that freaking rules (laughs) drink some tequila get a little get a little drunk um you know and uh go read some tarot cards it'll be great that is maybe my favorite thing i've ever heard you talk about in this podcast i'm uh, yeah it's it's a really fun fun book um and uh i'm uh i'm very excited for this one yeah so that's what i can start using right now yeah i'm going to be like let's try all these cocktails oh that's awesome i'm actually Uh, mad like i didn't think of that idea (laughs) Tarot cocktail look. I should just do like a. I'll just choose a different liquor. It'll be great. Yeah, I was just gonna say, just like pick like gin or vodka or whiskey or something, and just yeah, yeah. I'll be fine. Um, ooh, you should do like because you like Manhattans or old fashions. Manhattans, I do bourbon. You should do like bourbon. Like different types of Manhattans for each tarot card. I could. Yeah, I could try. <laughs> you figure it out. There's, I'll there's... talk to Mallory. Be like, Mallory, give me some. <laughs> Give me some bourbon type stuff. I need some bourbon info. Listen, she finished the first draft of her book. She should have time. She should. She should. She should. Hi, Mallory. Um, 
know she's listening to this. You're like, can I just read like just the bourbon section of your book? Like, I, I mean, I'll read it all eventually. <laughs> like, can yeah. you just send me the bourbon section for right now? Because I love bourbon. <laughs> Listen, we are going to purchase and support your book endlessly. Um, in exchange, please give us the even before arc of your book. Give That's us right. The, give us That's the right. zero draft arc. That's all we need. Yeah. going to take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor, which is Kenko. Only 8% of New Year's resolutions survive the whole year. Those are long odds for important goals, like say, eating healthier. This year, you deserve a little help in eating healthier. Uh, and that is why Kenko is such an amazing, amazing company. Kenko makes seriously nutritious smoothies for seriously busy people. Expensive store-bought smoothies are sugar-packed calorie bombs and quote-unquote fresh-pressed juices have way less fiber. Kenko's breakfast smoothies are only made from organic whole fruits and vegetables, flash-frozen, and slow-dried to lock in all of the fiber and nutrients. Nothing added and no fiber taken out. Kenko smoothies are so easy to make. You don't even need a blender or a juicer or any really kitchen product. All you need is to pour the Kenko packet into water or your favorite milk. I really love oat milk personally. Shake it up and then take on your day. Go to Kenko.com. You just take their quick nutrition quiz and fill out your flexible monthly order with your choice of 15 functional flavors that match your goals and taste. Each Kenko smoothie costs less than three bucks and packs half the daily fruits and vegetables you need to reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and some forms of cancer. Uh, personally, I really, really love their golds, which are enriched with pure plant proteins uh, to help muscles recover and rebuild. Uh, there are really, really fun flavors in all of these. Um, another one I, I adore is the aquamarines, which is pineapple, peach, zucchini, parsnip, dates, lime, blue spirulina, and fennel seed. <clears throat> the other one I, I've really, really enjoyed uh, is the, again, the, the reds, which is strawberry, raspberry, banana, apple, dates, ginger, and chia seeds. A lot of them have ginger in them, which makes me really, really happy because I am an absolute fiend when it comes to things that have ginger flavoring in them. Uh, for our listeners, you can start creating healthy habits right now by going to kenco.com slash pbn Pick out your flexible monthly plan, and the first 100 listeners will get 25% off your first order. That's Kenco, K-E-N-C-K-O dot com slash PBN and get 25% off, but only if you're one of the first 100 listeners. <laughs> you love our show. We love you. So get this really, really special deal. 25% off the first 100 listeners who go to Kenco.com slash PBN. Uh, okay, so like I said, we're going to talk about our personal sort of like reading goals now, just because I know this is the time of year where not only you know reading challenges like ours and reading glasses and the book riot one, I know people also like to put, you know, specific numbers on their Goodreads or whatever, like they everyone kind of has their own goals. So we have a few of ours. Um, I'll let you go first. But uh, Joe, what are your goals for reading in 20 <laughs> uh okay um we'll save the one for last if it's a good one so okay, good so <laughs> so i always tend to set a goal of reading 50 books throughout the year um in my comment here in our share doc i said i don't know if i've ever actually achieved it 
And then I went back to my spreadsheets and I did. In, um, I'm sure in other past years I have too, but in 2017 and 2018, I definitely read over 50 books. So that's always just sort of like my benchmark that I use um, every year is to read 50 books. I don't know how people read like 100 or 200. I mean, I know how, but that isn't something I can do. 50 seems manageable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's always my big one. Mystery. Yeah. Um, so I will say, and this is one of yours, that, that another one of yours that I, like you said, the way that I get through so many books, I, I listen to a ton of audiobooks. Um, I think I did just under 100 books last year, but like I found my I realized at the end of last year that it was like a lot of books I was getting through just to get through like I was like I just need mm-hmm. to hit a number so my biggest thing my like my biggest one this year is I am not putting a number on the amount of books I want to read this year my goal is really just to, I have a couple goals like my first one is just like to find more enjoyment in the books I pick and not worry about numbers so much um just because you know, we started this podcast because we work at a book company, but also because we both love reading. And I've found myself like I try and I'll, I'll still do this, like to read the books of the authors that we interview. But like, I need to stop being like, I need to listen to three audiobooks a week or I need to, you know, I just enjoy the ones that I'm actually picking specifically for myself. So that's, that is my first one. It's very basic, but, you know, keep finding enjoyment in books since I work at this company because I love literature. So that's my first one. Right. Cause then it becomes like homework. And that's exactly. Not fun. Yes. And not that's not the point of it. Not fun for anybody. Okay. My next one is to listen to one audiobook this year because I didn't listen to a single one in 2020, which is mind boggling to me. Wild. Wild. But I apparently really rely on those for my commute. And, you know, like, when we're in the office, I tend to listen to music. I can't listen to audiobooks. Be- and I, you understand this, I know, because we write and it's hard to like write for work when you have another voice in your mm. brain. And so um, I mostly listen to music. And even if there are words in that, I can usually just drown it out. So yeah, didn't listen to a single audiobook in <laughs> 2020. So going to listen to at least one in 2021. Love it. Um, my next one is I got off Goodreads. So for anyone who I know a few people from here follow me on Goodreads, you won't see me on there anymore just because it is overwhelming in the sense like I would, I always see all the things that other people are putting on their TBR list and all these different things. And it was like that was adding to my worrying about numbers and freaking out about what books um, I need to read. So off of a, an advice from some listeners that I that sent us DMs on Instagram and, and thank you. I don't remember names. I apologize, uh, but they suggested the Story Graph, which is a new service, which is similar to Goodreads, but it's just a lot more chill. Um, so it's in beta right now, but you can sign up for it and you can use it. And then I think in in like February they're releasing an actual app. Right now it's just a website. And then I saved the website to my phone. So it looks like an app, but it's really just, you know, it's the website itself, but it's just more, I don't know. It's just more calm. Cause I don't mm-hmm. like, I only see the things that I'm reading. And also like, it does a really cool job with the way that it recommends books. Not that 
<laughs> we need to do that because that's sort of our job is to recommend books to people. But like, it's interesting the way that it says like, oh, this type of person, meaning me, tends to prefer slow paced, longer books about these things. And it's just really interesting. Um, also, I want to point out the reason that they, that people suggested it to me is because they put our reading challenge on there. So if you are on the story graph and you want to do our reading challenge and you want to have like that open and a different spreadsheet and all these different things, it's just, it's a very convenient place to be like, oh, you go in there, you check, you check the box for whatever particular challenge you're doing and then it's done. So that's my second one. It's a weird one, but just like to hop off Goodreads and to, again, that, that really build, builds into the finding more enjoyment is like not worrying about what other people are reading and what I think I should be reading and just pick the books that I'm going to enjoy and put them on the story graph. So I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to see my reviews there, but that's, I won't be offended if you don't want to either. So my last goal for the year, um, I don't think this not I'm like I'm like is this gonna be a problem I don't think it's gonna be a problem I don't think it's a problem I don't but I mean like I'm trying to think like are there any big books coming out that I care enough about no I might make some exceptions we'll see um but I'll I'll clarify that so I read um 31 books in 2020 and only two of them were written by men (laughs) Um, one was the Nickel Boys by Colton Whitehead, and then I read um, Ernest Klein's Ready Player Two. That was it. Everything else was written by women. Um, yeah, I don't think there are any non-binary authors on here. So my, so I'm like, can I go a whole year without reading anything by man? Absolutely. So we're gonna try this, <laughs> like by a cis man. So no books by a cis man. I might, you know, like Colton Whitehead. I might make an <laughs> exception and make it like cis white men so like no books by cis white men in 2021 i feel like that's a good i love it so much there's no books by cis white men in 2021 um it's such a good idea and yeah i I think yeah i think adding white to that so cis white men i think is perfect because exactly what you said i literally was going to be like well i think you're we're both going to want to read colson's new book so right yeah so yeah um Sort of, well, not, I guess not really along those same lines. My last one is like worrying less about reading brand new releases. Um, and that kind of goes along with uh, reading Plain Song by Ken Hareff and the last couple of books I borrowed. I borrowed another Wendell Berry book and um, a few older ones. Actually, I'm going to get to one in our 1990s conversation in just a moment here. But new releases are great and we're still going to talk about them every single month, obviously. Be a really weird move of us to stop doing the most popular thing we do every month. Um, But I'm going to worry less about reading brand new releases as soon as they come out. I will still promote them and talk about them and buy them and put them on my holds lists. But I'm just going to, if I see a book that I'm interested in, I'm not going to worry if it came out in 2021 or 1987. You know, I'm just going to read the books that I want to read whenever. So that's, again, mine are very more, very more, very uh, holistic, I think would be the word that our coworker Chris Moody would call it, but just like a well-rounded in find more enjoyment of my, of the books I borrow and read and all that good stuff. So yes, welcome to the world of not caring about when our <sighs> book is new or not, or what everybody else is reading. Jill, I got to no, tell mean, you. Like, no, it's totally fine. I understand, you know. Oh no, I was just going to say, feels good to be here. Feels good to be here. I'm happy good. to be here. Welcome. 
Thank Welcome. you for letting me into the club. Um, okay, so along those lines and not worrying about new books, one of our challenges, one of our tasks is to read a book written in the 1990s. So we're going to give you some recommendations for the PBN, the Professional Book Nerds Reading Challenge for 2021, the 1990s books. Um, are. So I have two, okay, I have two that I'm just going to touch on really quick together because I read them in high school and they were two books as a high school reader that I read for actual class that I remember being like deeply mm-hmm. like moved by. There's three books that I read in high school that I think like I specifically remember. The first one was Princess Bride. Um, but then these two, I also remember being like deeply impacted by. The first one is The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. Uh, the Things They Carried is a, I wanna confirm, I believe it's fictional. Um, just wanna make sure. Yeah, so it's a it's a fictional histo- it's a historical fiction about a a comp- an alpha it's alpha company their survivor there's a survivor Tim O'Brien which is why I got confused because Tim O'Brien is the author um, Tim O'Brien writes a fictional recounting of the experience he had in Vietnam while on his tour and it is a meditation on war and memory and imagination and all these really incredible things. And I just remember being like, it was the obvious, I didn't read a ton of war books when I was in high school, but I remember being like, Oh, this is like heartbreaking what these people go through and and, and things like that. So that was the first one. And then also along those same, like heartbreaking, I promise all these aren't going to be sad, but a lesson before dying by Ernest J Gaines. I remember reading this for a AP uh, English class and um, it is the story of this man, this black man who is accused of a crime that he may or may not have committed. Um, it's implied a lot that he did not commit this crime and he's on death row. And so this is a book about um, this young man who returns to the South where this young black man is on death row and like their conversations together and understanding um, what it means to, to to resist and all these things. And just, uh, it is so good. It, I remember like crying as a 17 year old, like not understanding my feelings, but yeah, those, so those two, like I said, I read them in in high school. So I just wanted to put them together. Um, so those were a lesson before dying by Ernest Gaines and then, uh, the things they carried by Tim O'Brien. So my first one is, um, Rose Matter by Stephen King. Um, Y'all probably know that I'm a very, very big Stephen King fan. This was actually the first Stephen King book I ever read. Um, And I still have the copy of the book that I bought from like a secondhand bookstore. (laughs) Um, So this is about a woman named uh, Rose who um, escapes an abusive marriage. And she um, like leaves and has to like make this new life for herself. And um I I remember like in in reading Rose Matter I had read or I was familiar enough with Stephen King's other books um that this is the first one though where uh there's a reference to like the misery books and it sort of was like oh we've got this whole like universe and they're all connected and someone is reading a book from that movie I saw based on that other book of his and I'll eventually read it. So this was, uh, this was the one that started it all. 
What was the name of the one again? Sorry. Rose Matter. Yeah. Um, okay. My next one, kind of along those same lines, it was really fun looking at this big collection that Cindy made for us because like remembering all these people who wrote all these books that we've loved for years and years and years and like when they actually came out. So like mine, is, my next one is Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton. I, I, I don't know. I guess I, I went back to this morning and I looked at Michael Crichton's Wikipedia page and just like, I'm in awe that I just, I guess I didn't realize like, it's obviously not just all of the Jurassic Park stuff he's responsible for. Uh, he's also responsible for Westworld and he's responsible for Congo and he's responsible for the Andromeda strain. And like all that, he's just like, he was this massive, massive voice, not only in, um, in literature, but also in, in cinema and movies. And I think the thing that I love most about him is he got a, uh, an MD from Harvard medical school. And then was just like, but I'm not actually going to practice medicine. I'm going to use that to write books. And like, I just, I love that so much. And Jurassic Park, I obviously millions of people have read it, but if you haven't, if you only know it from the, the movie, there is so much science in there because Michael Crichton has all of this scientific background and he uses it to create these just incredible thrillers. And it's a whole different experience reading Jurassic Park versus watching it. It still has that same ominous, like creepy feeling. Like I'm, I still remember the first few times I watched the first Jurassic Park as a kid and being like, this feels so realistic. It's the same thing. So, I mean, it's the same story as Jurassic Park, the movie, but it's a book. And so if you've never read Jurassic Park, I highly recommend it. It's fabulous. It's so good. And there are parts of the book that end up in the second movie. Um, and, uh, I can't remember, it's been a few long time since I saw the second movie, but there's a scene in Jurassic Park, um, the book where they're going down a like a river and there's like pterodactyls and mm-hmm. it was terrifying. <laughs> like I feel very distinctly reading this like, oh my God, this is horrifying. It was fantastic. I don't think there's any part of the books where a dinosaur or someone's having a dream and a dinosaur says the name Alan to him. I'm not sure that that ever. <laughs> I don't think so. No, no. Uh, what's your next one? Oh, my next one is, um, all right. You know, we got to go with a, a classic, so to speak from the nineties, which is game of Thrones. Yeah. By George R. R. Martin. Got to have it on your list. Um, you know, Whatever, TV show, whatever. We won't talk about it. But the first few seasons are okay. We won't talk about the last season. Yeah. Um, but I, I I, do love the books. Um, and I loved Game of Thrones. I The first time I read it, um, I didn't really know what to expect from it. It was recommended to me because I was going through a period where I was reading a lot about a lot of um, nonfiction books about the Tudor family and someone recommended Game of Thrones as like a fantasy fictional version that um, is somewhat pulled from the War of the Roses um, in British history, which is how the Tudors, it doesn't matter, nobody cares. So (laughs) it's a very long history also where I'm like, nobody cares. If you do, feel free to email me. We'll talk about it. But uh, this is why Game of Thrones was recommended to me. This idea of like feuding families and there's dragons and oh my god, it was so good. It's still so good. I still love going back and reading it. Um, it's just these the characters and um, the it's just all of it. 
all of it. It it's like it is iconic. It is iconic. I I was laughing so hard because when you cut yourself off and said nobody cares, I honestly feel like if there is any if there's ever people that were going to care about the historical background that Game of Thrones is based on, it's probably our listeners who listen to our nerdy book podcast. But <laughs> Oh. oh god i that's fair that's fair it's probably mm-hmm. i just i know that like when i start talking about the tutors and british history i have to sort of like rein myself mm-hmm. in i may not have an interest but a so, lot of people do well feel free to email us at professional book nerds at overdrive.com and we will talk tutors and the war of the roses yeah. and the lancasters and the orcs and the lannisters and the starks <laughs> just get ready for like a 2000 word email from Jill. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Um, my next one is Sabriel by Garth Nix. Again, this was a really fun uh, thing for me to discover in the list because in my mind, I guess I like have no frame of reference how long people have been writing. Garth Nix, I last year wrote one of my favorite books that came out all year was The Left-Handed Booksellers of London, which was incredible. And then I was like, oh, he wrote a fantasy series in the 1990s that I knew nothing about. Um, this, so this Sabriel is the first book in the old kingdom series. And I borrowed it before we started recording this because I didn't want anyone in Ohio and Cleveland to go and borrow the copy that I was going to get. So y'all have to wait until I finish it, but it's a very, I mean, it seems like a, a very good fun fantasy series. You know, there's, um, this Sabriel who has these random powers and there is apparently a character who, um, is, uh has a is a feline who takes a feline form who maybe has like a malevolent spirit it's a fantasy novel it's there seems to be incredible world building the reason that it caught my attention is because the audiobook is narrated by tim curry yeah so freaking excited for this i was gonna say you were like nodding your head knowingly this whole time have you listened to this um i have um i actually so Right before, I remember our episode before Christmas when Sydney and Tiffany came on. Um, Sydney mentioned this book. Oh, really? Yes, and the audiobook. And I checked it out and I didn't finish it because I didn't finish any audiobooks in 2020. <laughs> and now I can't listen to it until 2022 because I just made this rule. So <sighs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll let you know how excited my I own am rule. It. It's my own yeah. rule that I cannot listen to a book written by this white man. So gonna have to wait yeah you're in issues there well i'm gonna enjoy sabriel by garth nix very very much what's uh what's your next one uh my next one is um the institutionist by colson whitehead this is actually when i was going through the list of 90s books i came across this one which i've not read but the description i was like oh i have to amend my own rule so that i can read this this year so (laughs) yep got to um so this is actually the debut novel of Colson Whitehead. So it, it is a time of calamity in a major metropolitan city's Department of Elevator Inspectors. And Lila Mae Watson, the first black female elevator inspector in the history of the department, is at the center of it. There are two warring factions within the department. The empiricists, who work by the book and dutifully check for situations, uh, sorry, on the winch cable and such, and the institutionists who are simply able to enter the elevator cab in question, mediate, and intuit any defects. Sounds delightful. Um, Lila May is an institutionist. Oh, wait, am I pronouncing that wrong? Intuitionist. 
Oh my God, you're right. I thought it was institutionist as well. Wow. As soon as I read that line, I'm like, that is, I'm, it is the, we're going to have people yelling at us when we start talking about this. But then they'll hear, they'll hear you. And then they'll hear me. Now I can be like, can I pronounce it correctly? Yeah. So it's intuition, intuitionist. Okay. So Lila's an intuitionist and it just so happens has the highest accuracy rate in the entire department. But when an elevator in a new city building goes into total free fall on her watch, chaos ensues. It's an election year in the elevator guild and the good old boy empiricists would love nothing more than to assign the blame to an, um, I'm going to mess this up again because like in my head, to an intuitionist, <laughs> but she is never wrong. So the sudden appearance of excerpts from the long lost notebook of the intuitionist founder has also caused quite a stir. The notebooks describe Fulton's work on the black box, a perfect elevator that could reinvent the city as radically as the first passenger elevator did when patented by Otis in the 19th century. When Lila goes underground to investigate the crash, she becomes involved in the search for the portions of the notebook that are still missing and uncovers a secret that will change her life forever. This sounds amazing. I know it's, I can't believe I also have not read this. We're like, it's wild. I don't know how this like, yeah, it's cool. It's a way to debate debut. You feel like at some point I would have been like, Oh, I should probably read that. Mm -hmm. Apparently not. So intuitionist, intuitionist. No wonder when I kept trying to spell it, it told me I was spelling it wrong. So I'm like, no, what are you talking about? Well, maybe that's just a weird spell. Okay. Oh, that's so funny. Apologies, Colson. Um, my next one is The Witching Hour by Anne Rice. I'm so mad you put this on your list before me. Because <laughs> I love this book. <laughs> so I actually, okay, well, then you can talk more about it than I can. Because I haven't read it. I just saw, I have to have at least one horror book, I feel like, in every collection that we release. Um, and it's the first of us of the Lives of the Mayfair Witches series. But go ahead. I will let you talk about it because I haven't read it yet. And I'm just excited to enjoy it. So The Witching Hour by okay. Anne Rice. Joe, what are your thoughts? <laughs> so um, fun fact, I read this at church camp, which probably says a lot about me. Okay. Ah! Um, <laughs> so obviously, y'all know Anne Rice. Probably you know this, that she wrote um, Interview with a Vampire and all the vampire books. So the Mayfair Witches book, starting with The Witching Hour, is about a family of witches living in New Orleans. And it sort of goes through, there's, there's a section of the book that lasts for like, it's a big book. There's a section that lasts for like hundreds of pages of like the entire history of the Mayfair family. Um, and so this covers uh, four centuries of witches and sort of from like, um, where they started in Europe through their time, you know, here in New Orleans, um, plantations in the South and, oh, it's so good. Um, it goes into, you know, their witches, there is naturally a somewhat devil, um, uh, character, um, that shows up in later books. I can't remember if he's mentioned or shows up in the first one. There are later books where like the vampire books and the Mayfair witches books kind of come together and they like exist in the same universe. Uh, it's so good. It's so good. I may have to reread this. Well, I'm, I'm going to read it for the first time. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I have, um, I have one more. 
I have one more too. So go ahead. You can go I, since I talked about yours. <laughs> that's okay. I would, ra- I'd rather have you talk about it than me do what we do when we haven't read it is, which is read a description. So that, mm-hmm. that works out well for me. Um, the last one I have is the Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. Um, this is really, I read this a long, long time ago, but, um, this is wonderful. It's like a mixture of philosophy and speculative fiction. Um, it tells the story of this, uh, priest. He's a Jesuit priest and he's also a linguist. His name is Emilio. And he leads a scientific mission. Um, and the scientific mission, like their task is to make first contact with an intelligent extraterrestrial life. Um, so it kind of begins a it's the the mission starts off like based on like hope and faith um but then there is a horrible misunderstanding between the intelligent life and the people trying to meet them and it leads to a catastrophe so it's just really really interesting it's really really um deep there's a lot of if you are someone who thinks a lot about like life beyond earth or life beyond our lives it's a it's a very introspective and and wonderful book so um a little bit heavy but really really good so that's the sparrow by mary doria russell what's your last one um my last one is um the secret history by uh donna tart which is probably not surprised to anybody um this is one of my most favorite books ever like top five no questions asked um and I've talked about it a bunch, so I don't want to talk too much about it. But this is about a um, charismatic classics professor who has a group of students who sort of circulate and kind of orbit around him. Um, and an outsider uh, student joins the group and discovers there are weird things happening. And that's all I really want to tell you. Mm-hmm. If you know me, you know, we talk, I've talked about this, about how like my favorite genre of books is the murder on an educational campus involving a close-knit group of suspicious characters. And this is a book that started it all for me. So that's, yeah. I mean, this is, this is your wheelhouse. It's, it's yep. right there. So um, awesome. All right. Well, that is our 1990s books, our reading goals and what we've been reading lately. Got a little bit of everything for you in that episode. Um yeah, excited for, there's a bunch of really nice interviews coming up for you guys, and we will figure out Thursday episodes like we always do. Won't pretend that anything has changed in 2021. We're still not planning stuff out in advance. Nope. We got this far. Why would we start now? Um, Anything else you think people should know about? I don't think so. I don't think so either. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.